I mentioned we're coming to, we have come to the end for many months. Uh, we've unpacked this little letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Titus, who Paul left behind on the Mediterranean. <coughs> in case you're wondering, this is the Mediterranean. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, just in case. So this Mediterranean. Uh, I'll be doing a few references up here because it's going to get a little. It's going to get a little tricky I'm trying to figure out where all these people are going and what's what's happening in these final verses. Uh, so Paul leaves. This is Crete, island of Crete, south of Greece. Paul leaves Titus there on that island to further establish and to develop the churches there, uh, so that those churches could faithfully carry out the Great Commission. Uh, Paul sends this letter, he, he reminds Titus of the things that were essential uh, for these believers and these churches to understand and to practice uh, certain things, if they were ever going to reach the lost, if they were ever going to truly make an impact uh, with the gospel. And so Paul, throughout this letter, is talking about the advance of the gospel and the things that must be present in the life of the church if the church is going to be faithful in this task. And so we've looked at these as we've gone along. Paul stresses the need for qualified uh, and gifted men to, to, to shepherd the church. Uh, he talks about the need for those men to uh, not just shepherd, but in their shepherding to protect the church both from false teachers and from false teaching. Uh, he stresses the need for every believer in the church to relate to others in the church in a biblical way, uh, whether it be their spouses or uh, other members of the body of Christ, church leaders, uh, and then even beyond the walls of the church, their, their employers, even those in the government, uh, some who may even profess to be enemies of the gospel and the cross. Paul emphasized the fact that if a person truly believes sound doctrine, that he will live out that doctrine in everyday life. That his life will be a life full of good deeds because he has a true understanding of the, the grace of God and the grace of the gospel. And he knows that Christ came to redeem his people from sin and to set them apart for his, his purposes. So last time we, we looked at a couple of things that distract the church from this mission, this mission of making disciples who will in turn make disciples. Uh, specifically, we looked at verses in chapter 3. Uh, we looked at verse uh, 9 uh, down through verse 11. We looked at two threats or two distractions to, to the gospel of grace or even two distractions that, that, that take the church's focus off of its mission of fulfilling the Great Commission. And those were divisive issues and divisive individuals. Uh, today we want to look at these final verses, verses 12 to 15, uh, where Paul sort of moves away from condemning these uh, futile arguments and these factious people in the church to commending church leaders who were sincerely being used by the Lord uh, and who were a blessing to Paul's own life. So since this is our last lesson, I'd like, to, I'd like to just read the letter. We did this at the very beginning of our study. I'd like to start in verse 1, chapter 1, and just read it in its entirety. And then, and then comment on the final verses. <clears throat> Paul, a bondservant of God and, a, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, and the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested even his word in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. 
One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith and love and perseverance. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority and let no one disregard you. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. To malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we've done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently, so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and strife and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. <clears throat> Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, as I said, in these, in these final verses, just verses 12 to 15, is a sort of closing remarks uh, by Paul. Uh, we learn a number of things. Uh, things that we could say are... We'll call them key ingredients. Key, key ingredients that come together to bring about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Key ingredients that come together to bring about the fulfillment of the Great Commission. So it's very much in line with what Paul's, this is the sort of the, the, one of these threads that runs through the letter. It's, it is about, about evangelism, it is about uh, missions, it is about uh, the Great Commission and making disciples, and then Paul, even there's some things, even in these final verses, that help us to know what are those things that are necessary, that are needful for us to be faithful in this task. So let me give them, there's, there's six of them uh, in these verses, and the first is this, the advance of the gospel requires fat people. Yes, yes, all right. Uh, Fat people, although that's not exactly what we mean, okay? We're talking about F-A-T-T, fat people, okay? We need people who are faithful, and I've always heard it's faithful, teachable, and available, but we need people that are trained. 
yes, we need people that are available. We do need people that, that are humble and can be taught. We do need people that are that have a pattern of faithfulness and godly character in their lives. But we that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be training people. Uh, it doesn't mean that we should just thrust people into responsibilities when they haven't been trained to handle those responsibilities. So we need people who are faithful, and in this case, we need fat Christian men. Okay, we need fat Christian. Man, now you'll notice the Apostle Paul mentions four different Christian men by name. First, he mentions Artemis, which we know virtually nothing about. Uh, we don't. We know virtually nothing more about this man in the New Testament. Uh, tradition tells us he was one of the seven, uh, one of the seventy disciples, uh, and became an overseer of the church in Timothy's hometown of Lystra. Uh, but although the New Testament doesn't mention anything else about him, we, we, I think, can safely assume that Paul considered him to be an example of godliness, uh, to be a capable shepherd and a faithful teacher who would be able to assume direction over the Cretan churches, because he's, that's what Paul's saying here, is that he's, he is potentially going to go and relieve Titus of his responsibilities, and and assume those responsibilities himself. And so we just I just assume by that that if Paul's going to give us a list of qualifications in chapter 1 for an elder, that he would certainly not send a man in to take Titus' place in this and take over these responsibilities if he himself did not fulfill those qualifications. So we assume he's godly. We assume he's a capable teacher and a capable shepherd. Uh, or as Paul said back in... In chapter 1, verse 9, that he is a man who holds fast the, the word of God and will be able, who is able, to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. The second man that Paul mentions is Tychicus, uh, who is mentioned a number of times in the New Testament. He was a, a well-known disciple from Asia Minor uh, who had been uh, one of Paul's traveling companions as Paul journeyed toward Jerusalem with the Gentile offering. So as Paul was gathering up this large offering, to take back to the Jerusalem church. Tychicus was a man that, that accompanied him uh, in that journey. Uh, this means he would have been present at the emotional farewell uh, that Paul gave to the elders uh, from Ephesus. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 20. Uh, apparently, he was also with Paul during Paul's first Roman imprisonment and was expected to brief the believers in Ephesus and Colossae regarding Paul's condition, or Apostle's condition. So these, uh, Tychicus was likely the carrier of those letters uh, the, from from Paul to those various cities and the churches in those in those cities. Uh, his mention here in Titus indicates that Tychicus rejoined Paul after his release from his first Roman imprisonment. And then the last reference that we have of this man in the New Testament reveals that he had been with Paul in his final. Roman imprisonment shortly before Paul's death and that the apostle dispatched him on that occasion to travel to Ephesus uh, with the letter of 2 Timothy. So this is a, a this is a guy that Paul's trusting will take very sensitive information and very important documents and will travel long distances and will be faithful to get these this correspondence to, to the proper uh, to the proper people. As far as the kind of person that Tychicus was, he's referred to as, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul calls him a beloved brother. Uh, he refers to him there as a faithful minister or a faithful servant. Uh, in Colossians chapter 4, Paul refers to him as a fellow bond servant. So we, we piece all of this information together and we can, say, we can safely say that Tychicus was faithful, he was beloved, he was hardworking, he was trustworthy. Uh, he was a people person uh, because Paul sent him into very delicate situations uh, where there was you know, potential for division and there were potential for false teaching and he was having to manage these various relationships. Uh, he, was, he was certainly an encourager who, who had Christ-like attitudes. Uh, he was a man that was willing to accept any assignment that Paul gave him, which says, which says a lot, right? I mean... Paul himself, you know a lot about Paul's sufferings, right? I mean, you know about some of the things that Paul got involved in. And so Paul's saying, listen, Tychicus, I want you to go. And this was a man that when Paul said go, he took up that assignment and he went, knowing that just like Paul, because he had been with Paul during some of these experiences, that, that may, he may be heading into a firestorm. I mean, 
he may be heading into some very, very difficult, difficult waters. And based upon the fact that he was entrusted with so much responsibility, uh, he must have been able to administer and deal with problems in the church. <clears throat> the third uh, person that Paul mentions here is Zenos. And, and like Artemis, we know, we know very little about this man, although Paul refers to him in verse 13 as the lawyer. <laughs> Zenos the lawyer. Uh, which, which could refer to a, a few different things. It could have been that this man was just a, a Roman uh, attorney, litigator. Uh, it's possible that he was a Jewish lawyer that had come to faith in Christ or maybe a, a Jewish expert on the Mosaic law, so not necessarily civil law, but referring here to, to uh, religious law, Mosaic law. Uh, regardless, he would have been adept at, at dealing with the situation in Crete. Uh, and some of the detailed arguments the false teachers were setting forth about the law, we've looked at some of that, uh, references to those things as we even read through uh, today, the, the not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men. So he would have been able to handle those, those situations. Uh, again, we assume that he was faithful and that he was loved by Paul. And finally, we have Apollos, and like Tychicus, Apollos is mentioned in several places in the New Testament. Uh, Every time Apollos is mentioned, it's always in a favorable way. Uh, He was from Alexandria, Egypt, so we've got Egypt down here. He was from Alexandria, Egypt, the scriptures tell us. He was an eloquent Jewish preacher of the gospel. In fact, if you you want to turn over to Acts chapter 18, uh, Acts... 18, this is when we're introduced to Apollos. Acts chapter 18, verse verse 24 says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, He was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. It's very, very very interesting. So Luke tells us here that, that... that Apollos was a man who was convinced of the truth. Now they had to they had to explain some things more comprehensively to him to him. But what the scripture is saying is that what he did know and what he did understand, I mean, he he fought for these things. He stood on these things. He was not a man that, that wavered back and forth. He was convinced of the truth. He was bold. He was zealous. Uh, he was a man who was equipped, and yet he was a man who was still teachable. So he, he, he was convinced of the truth, but he did have uh, a, a, a teachability. He displayed what we might call the humility of true faith. Uh, he, he learned from this godly couple and was then gladly sent on his way as a, as a choice servant of the Lord. Verse 27, and when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived... He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So Apollos also, as these other other three men, he was he was very gifted. He was he was godly, godly character. Uh, in fact, he, he became such a great help and a blessing to the believers in Corinth that some felt especially drawn to his ministry. You remember there's a number of references to him in the book and the letter to the Corinthian church where there seemed to be uh, various groups within the church that were saying, well, I, I'm, I'm of this guy. I mean, I've been baptized by this guy. I have been taught by this guy. Um, it, it, that just simply speaks to the fact that the church was greatly blessed and, 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 and people get close. Let's just be honest. People draw close in, in the church to people that feed them. I mean, when, when you're being fed, when you're being nourished spiritually by different people, you, you draw close. You got God knits your heart together with people that invest the Word of God into your life. And so it, it wasn't Apollos' fault. Apollos wasn't trying to get a gathering. He wasn't trying to 
to, to divide the church. The church had problems. Uh, Apollos did not create those things or fuel those things. It just, it just simply speaks to the fact that Apollos had a very effective ministry among those people. And certain of those people said, hey, we like this guy. I mean, we've been blessed by his ministry. This guy has fed us. This guy has taught us. And they just went in their hearts in, a, in, a wrong, in the wrong direction with that, right? I mean, yeah, we ought to be grateful and thankful for the teachers that God brings into our life, but we shouldn't cause those sort of factions and divisions in the church. So Paul mentions all four of these men. And I say, well, what does that tell us? I mean, what does it tell us that Paul gets to the end of this letter and he mentions these, these four men? And, and what, I, what I would say is that, that in, God's, in God's economy... The Great Commission is accomplished through the lives of fat Christians, especially Christian men who are faithful, available, teachable, te- te- trained, and who are teachable. So, folks, what that means for us is very practical, very practical for us. If we are going to advance the gospel, our church needs to be committed to everything that we've talked about so far in the book of Titus. But in addition to that, we'd say this. We need to be identifying godly men. We need to be equipping godly men. We need to be testing these men and approving these men, raising these men up and sending these men out. Okay? Uh, Paul had numerous men, right? I mean, he had this, he was, uh, all this work was going on, but what's interesting is he's, it's not just one guy. I mean, it's not all on Titus. It's not all on Timothy. I mean, Paul just goes, oh, this guy? I'm going to send him, and I'm going to send this guy over here, and I'll send one of these two guys. I mean, isn't that beautiful that he has such a, a pool of people to pull from and to say, all of these men are capable. All of these men are godly. All of these men, of course, they're different. Yes, their giftedness is different. Their personalities are different, and they're drawn to different kinds of things. But any one of these men I could put in this position of leadership. I could put that man in that place because he would do a great job. Yeah, he would have to adjust, and he would have to get to know them more, and they would have to get to know him and trust him and all that. But Paul was committed to raising up godly men, and I would say that this church, Faith Community Church, will be effective in evangelism and fulfilling the Great Commission to the extent that we are training up more people to go and do the work. I mean, we're, we in this room are not going to be here forever. We have to constantly be raising up new leadership and constantly investing in other believers that can carry on the work when we're gone. So the advance of the gospel requires, requires fat people. All right, number two. The advance of the gospel requires strategic planning. It requires strategic planning. Notice what Paul writes in verse 12. When I send, this is back in Titus 3, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Now notice what Paul says. When I send one of these two guys, I'm not sure which one, but I'm going to send either Artemis or Tychicus. So Paul did not know exactly exactly when. I mean, he knew in the general time frame, but did not know exactly when he would send this replacement and which one of the two men he would send. But everything was not just up in the air. I mean, uh, even though there's some a little bit of sort of uncertainty here, you know, it's either going to be this guy or it's going to be that guy. We don't need to get the impression that Paul didn't have a plan. Uh, Paul has a plan. He has a plan in mind, and that plan is very strategic and, and intentional. Paul intended that one of these men would eventually travel to Crete and replace Titus. And he intended that Titus would turn things over and then travel to Nicopolis to meet up with Paul. So he tells Titus, make every effort to come. It's, it's a term that, that means to, to do your best or to, to be diligent in doing something. Uh, in fact, it's the same term that, that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 2.15 when he told Timothy, be diligent. That's the term. Be diligent. To present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed of accurately handling the word of truth. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 4.11, uh, urging Jew, the Jewish audience there to find their, their rest in Christ, says this, 
Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fail or no one will fall through following the same example of, of disobedience, speaking of, of the, the, the history of, of the Jewish people. So this is not just a, you know, a hope you can make it. This is with the diligence that you pursue rest in Christ, with the diligence that you, that you study the Word of God as a, as a workman who, who doesn't want to be ashamed, with that kind of effort, with that kind of priority, with that kind of diligence, that's what I want you to put into this, this plan. I, Titus, I need you. I want you to come to meet me in this city. And so Paul urges Titus to come to him because Paul himself had made the determination to journey to Nicopolis, which was just it's a, it's a, the, 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 the name of that city means the city, city of victory. Uh, we, we believe it's, and there's a number of ref, there's a number of cities named that back in that day. But this is uh, this is southern Greece, so we're saying it's the one we, we think it is is right here. It's around the west coast there, so that makes sense because this is Crete. Okay, so uh, Paul's saying he's going to to he wants to meet up with with Titus in that city. Uh, we we believe Paul probably wrote this letter from either. Some believe Macedonia, which would be this area of northern Greece. Uh, you've got the city of, say, Philippi, and right, right in here. Uh, you've got the city, some believe it's the city of Troas. Uh, just a reference, this is Asia Minor here. This is uh, Israel. Uh, this would be Ephesus. Just to give you a reference point. This is Italy, so we've got Rome over here. And then this would be Nicopolis. Okay. So, uh, we believe Paul probably wrote the letter to Titus from either northern Greece, and there's some, some, some believe over here from, from the city of, of Troas. And he, he tells Titus, and he uses this term, he says, I have decided. This is what I've decided to do. And it's, it's not just a casual decision. It's actually a word that means to make a judgment. So it's as if Paul has sat back, He's, he's looked at the situation, he's looked at the people, and he's, 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 he's weighed these things out in his mind and in his heart. And he said, listen, okay, what's the best solution here? Uh, and, and then Paul makes this determination after he carefully considers all of that information. So the, the idea here is, is that Paul is not haphazardly going about his life in ministry. Paul is, we might say, Paul is positioning himself. Uh, he's thinking about where he should go and when he should go and why he should go. He's contemplating the needs in those various churches and he's thinking about who can meet those particular needs because Paul knows that, that the right missionaries are needed for the right mission. So he's, he's thinking through these things. We say Paul is strategizing. He's strategizing. So either Artemis or Tychicus would be traveling to Crete in the near future. Titus would be expected to leave Crete and go to Paul. And then as far as Zenos and Apollos, the, these two men, Paul says, would be passing through Crete, according to verse 13. Uh, Paul doesn't mention where their final destination would be, but it seems that they are, they are uh, the ones that Paul, and again, entrust, is entrusted to carry this letter to Titus. So just think, think about this for a minute, okay? So let's just say Paul's in, in Troas, okay? And that Titus is down here. Paul is saying, listen, I, I'm going to, I, I've written this letter to you, Titus, and he's sending this letter by, by the hands of Zenos and Apollos. And so these two men are with Paul. They're going to come, or however they're going to get there, but they're going to make their way to Crete. And they're going to deliver that. And then Paul gives Titus some instructions about these men because they're not going to be staying there. They're going to be leaving. We don't know where, but to some other, other ministry, needed ministry. And then Paul says, uh, I'm, then I'm going to send one of these other men. I'm going to send either Artemis or Tychicus to you. And when that guy gets to you, then once you're able to sort of hand things off to that person, then I want you to travel up to Nicopolis. And Paul says, and I'm headed there, and I'm going to spend the winter there. 
<laughs> all, all these little, all these people moving in different different places. So what's the, what's the point? The point, folks, is that time. We do not have unlimited time. We do not have unlimited money. We do not have unlimited manpower. Uh, resources are limited. Manpower, personnel are, are limited. Time is, is limited. And in light of all that, planning is essential. Planning is essential. You're always trying to figure out, using biblical wisdom, of course, what is the best course of action? What is the best for the church in the long run? What's the best for the church in the long run? What is the wisest use of time, money, and people? And so you gather that information, you seek godly counsel, you evaluate past decisions, you think about decisions you've made in the past, some of those turned out to be good decisions, some of those turned out to be not so good, and you learn from those things. You kick around ideas that reflect the priorities of Scripture. Uh, you think cr creatively, and you put together a plan. You put together a plan, and then you do what? Trust God. You trust God. Uh, in other words, we're not just sitting back going, well, I, I, I think I, it'll just all fall into place. It's not going to just all fall into place. The Lord calls us to, to know the depth, the, the, the riches of His Word, and to take those principles of Scripture and to utilize them in our planning. And so we strategize, and we think about the needs, and we try to meet the needs, and, and, we, and we set a course of action, and yet we trust God. Because we don't know that all those things are going to happen the way that we intend for them to happen. So the advance of the gospel requires fat people, it requires strategic planning, and I had to cap up another, another P here, ongoing plasticity. All right. You never know what you're going to learn in Bible study, right? Plasticity, definition, the capacity of being molded or altered. Okay? We have to remain in a state of being that, that, that things need, can be can be shaped or can be uh, altered in some way. And I'm saying, why, why is that a necessary component a component of the Great Commission? Because sometimes you make your plan and what things change, things happen, things don't always go as planned. Hello, we just had. A banquet this past Wednesday planned for Johnny Gravino, our, our missionary to Italy, but we had to cancel the, the, the banquet because of what? Ice and snow because of the weather. I mean, we, we plan for months, right? I mean, we, plane tickets. You, you buy plane tickets. You, you, you think about travel and you think about schedules and you, and you invite people and you, and you get caterers and all that. But at the end of the day, folks, we, don't, we can't control the weather and things change. And so it, this issue of plasticity... We have to be able to adapt. And so we just told Johnny, hey, listen, we'll just push the banquet back until ne next year. <laughs> because he was, he was here for one day. I mean, the guy flew in, he was here for one day, and then he flew to, to California. I mean, there was no plan B. The plan B is we'll see you in 2016. Right? We'll see you at next year's banquet. I mean, that's just the way things are sometimes. When we purchased and developed this property years ago, we didn't know that the land around us would become unavailable, preventing us from expansion. But we still had a plan, right? I mean, when we bought this property and moved to this property, we had a strategy that wasn't haphazard. We gathered information. We, we built, built buildings. We raised funds. We, we set ministry goals, all that. But things change, right? And so you adapt as you go. I think about Chris. I mean, the very things that are going on in his life. He, he's had to make changes regarding the ministry on the other side of the world. Thankfully, he's got faithful men. Thankfully, he's been investing his life in, into other people within, within the church there in, in Crapina. And so he's able to say, hey, guys, I need your help over there. I, I, you guys have got to help me. You've got to take up the slack over there and keep things moving along And because there's things going on here that I did not foresee. I didn't know these things would happen the, the, the way that they ha have happened two years ago. But I know Chris well enough to know Chris has a plan. I mean, this guy's an administrative planning strategizing machine. I mean, if you've been over to Croatia, hello, if you've been to Croatia and, done, and, and worked at that, at that camp, I mean, this guy is a gifted leader and administrator. 
But but things change. Things change. Opportunities pop up that we don't expect. Some opportunities come up, but then for whatever reason they go away. So you're like, hey, this great opportunity, and but then but just by the time you're about to seize the opportunity, it just just dissolves, right? When the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Titus, Paul was evidently still free to travel and to minister because he's making these plans to go to Nicopolis. He was probably probably planning to extend his ministry, looking for new territory in which to spread the gospel because that was always his heart, was to go to places that had not heard the gospel. But at some point, Paul was arrested, maybe in Troas, before he ever made it to Nicopolis and then taken to Rome for his last imprisonment and ultimately his execution. That was not in the plan. <laughs> Paul didn't say anything about his execution. Paul didn't say anything about getting arrested. Paul said, I'm coming to Nicopolis. Meet me there. <clears throat> Things change. Of the two men, Artemis and Tychicus, who, by the way, were both competent. And they, again, they're both, both godly men, both able to lead. Artemis was most likely the one who uh, to be sent by Paul to relieve Titus in Crete because Tychicus ends up in Rome with Paul. So we find that out. What we find is that it's probably Artemis that goes here because Paul ends up getting arrested at some point. Some believe he was arrested in Troas. He goes over to Rome, and when we hear about Paul in 2 Timothy, uh, Tychicus is with him. So we don't know if Titus ever got to... We don't know that Paul ever got to Nicopolis, probably not. We don't know that Titus ever made it to Nicopolis. We think Paul may have gone to Nicopolis to meet up with Titus and that they were going to make their way up the coast because in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul says this to to Timothy. He says that Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Well, Dalmatia is where, Chris? Croatia, baby. Yes, it's right up in this area right here near Croatia. And so the the thought is that Paul would have made his way up the coast and taken the gospel to this, this area that he had not ministered to before but what does he do from prison in 2 Timothy? When he writes to Timothy, he says, I just, Titus has already gone on. And I think what happened is that, Ty, that Paul's saying, listen, I got Luke with me. Um, he had Tychicus with, the, with him. And I think he just says, but the work's got to go on. And so Titus, I just want you to go on. We were planning to go to Dalmatia, but just go on anyway. Because he knew Titus was capable to do that. So Titus goes to, to Dalmatia. Then, Paul sends Tychicus, as I mentioned, to deliver a letter to Timothy, this is 2 Timothy, and to assume a leadership role in the church in Ephesus so that Timothy could go to Paul in Rome, picking up John Mark along the way, as well as Paul's cloak, his books, and his parchments, and he picks up the cloak in Troas. So the reason why people say that they believe that Paul was arrested here is because he tells uh, Timothy, leave there, go to Troas, and get these things. So the idea is that Paul could have been arrested there and in such a hurry taken away that some of his things were left. So Paul's all the way here, and listen to what he says. He says to Tychicus, I need you to send another letter. I got another letter. And you need to take that letter all the way to Ephesus, to Timothy, and then take Timothy's place as a leader there so that Timothy can go all the way here and go to where Paul is in Rome and along the way to pick up Mark. It's, a, it's fascinating to me when you start to put all that together and just realize everything that's is transpiring. Paul, Paul planned to meet up with Titus and Nicopolis. Probably didn't happen. Paul was taken to Rome. Tychicus went to Ephesus. Timothy would, 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 would go to Rome. Titus would end up in Dalmatia near modern-day Croatia. Here's the point. Paul strategized and planned, but things changed. So Paul, what Paul gives to us at the end of Titus is his intention but what we find out by putting the other pieces together is that this actually, some of this did not actually play out the way Paul intended, but it did not keep Paul from planning. Proverbs 16.9, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord does what? Directs his steps. That's all. And this is just the way, this is what Scripture tells us. We plan, we strategize, but God is the one who directs our steps. If we're ever going to advance the gospel, we have to be flexible and moldable, ready to adapt, because we believe that our God is a sovereign God. We plan with biblical wisdom, but not with unlimited knowledge and perfect insight. The Lord knows what he is doing, and we need to trust him when he providentially delays or alters our plans. Right? 
So at Faith Community, again, we raise up godly men, we strategize, how are we going to get this thing done? I mean, what is, what, is, what, is, what is the stewardship that God has given to us as a church? How are we going to use our time, our manpower, and our resources to advance the gospel? And we plan, and then we just realize that sometimes God alters the plans, and we don't get upset about it when that happens. We just keep moving, right? We keep planning, and we keep strategizing, and we keep trusting God. God, God does what He knows is best. Ongoing plasticity. Number four, the advance of the gospel requires sacrificial patronage. Sacrificial patronage. I had to find another P. Patronage refers to sponsorship, support, or backing. Notice what Paul says in verse 13. Diligently help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. As I just, just mentioned, Zenos, Zenos and Apollos most likely delivered this letter to Titus. But Paul did not expect them to hang around very long. These men were essentially passing through. Uh, Paul, Paul doesn't mention where their final destination will be, but it's certain that they are on their way to another ministry opportunity. And Paul wants to make sure that Titus gives them a good send-off. In fact, Paul commands Titus to meet their needs so that they can fulfill the ministry. Diligently, he says, diligently help uh, help them on their way. It's a, it's a, it's a, new, a word in the New Testament, propimpo. It, it's, it, it's this idea of, of sending out, but as you're sending out, you are meeting the spiritual, the physical, the financial needs of those that are being sent. So it's not just send them off and, hey, praying for you. <laughs> it's sending off, but making sure that they are fully equipped, they have all of the needs that they have are being, are being met. And in this case, it's in, it's in an imperative, and it's in a second person singular. So this is actually Paul telling Titus to him personally to get this done. <clears throat> Titus, you get this done. Okay. It was important that Titus do all that he could to support these men, both spiritually and materially. How much so? So that, he says, nothing is lacking for them. There's, there's nothing left. <laughs> there is no need remaining. These men were to be encouraged. They were to be supported. They were to be equipped with everything that they needed to do the ministry. That is all the necessary supplies for their onward journey. John MacArthur writes this, The spirit of mutual support and care should always characterize Christ's church, especially its spiritual leadership. Under the Sovereign Lord, leaders are interdependent, called and commissioned to trust and assist one another as fellow servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this is critical for, the great for Great Commission work. Mutual sacrifice, mutual support, mutual service, and mutual generosity. Without it, God's servants run the risk of becoming independent, isolated, competitive, and being in danger of always soliciting the help of others rather than being involved in helping to meet the needs of others, even their co-laborers. Because what, think about it, he's, he's putting the burden, so to speak, on Titus. But Titus is a minister. So he's just saying, listen, Titus, yeah, you're a minister, and these guys that are coming through, they're, they're involved in ministry too, but you personally need to get involved in meeting some of their needs because... If not, you're always in the position in ministry of asking for help. And what Paul's saying is that's not good. It's not good that you're always asking for help. You need to be meeting these needs as well. And so there's this interdependency that's going on. This sacrifice that Paul expects of Titus, even though Titus is supported, <laughs> that Titus would be the one that's also involved in the support of other forms of, of ministry and supporting other works and supporting other, other men who are called to the work. Requires sacrificial patronage or, or support. Number five, the advance of the gospel requires church participation. So it, it's not just the leaders. I mean, if the, if the gospel is going to go forward, it's not just this sacrifice among the leaders, but it's also the involvement on the part of the whole church with an expression of identity, affinity, and unity. Paul, Paul one final time calls believers to be zealous and enthusiastic about doing good. Verse 14, our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So they will not be unfruitful. It wasn't just Titus that was expected to meet the needs of these men or the many other needs in the church. 
The people in the churches were expected to employ their gifts, their abilities to be devoted to others, and to show that, that concern in tangible demonstrations of grace. And for many, this would not be automatic. It was something that they would have to learn. It was something that they would have to keep, keep growing in their understanding of how to do it. And in this case, they would be learning from mainly what? Titus' own example. Because he's saying, Titus, I want you to help these men. Send them off. Give them a good send-off. But then our people need to learn to do this. And so essentially what he's saying is, Titus, I need you to be an example of this. Isn't that, isn't that what he says back in chapter 2, verse 7? He's talking to Titus in verse 7, chapter 2. In all things, show yourself, Titus, to be what? An example of good deeds. So the church needs to learn to do this. It's, it's not automatic that people in the church go, I know what to do in this situation. You know, we present needs to the church. We're like, hey, this is a need. And not everybody in the church just knows what to do. And so what Paul's saying is, the leaders need to be being an example of this, of this generosity and the sacrifice and the support and this encouragement. But this is something we ought to be growing in. This is an area of sanctification. This is an area where, where you ought to be growing in your understanding and application in your Christian life of what it means to be these things, to meet needs, to support. We ought to always be pushing ourselves in those, in those ways. Paul says, if they did learn how to do that, to meet the needs of others, they would surely be fruitful, productive, beneficial, useful. They would demonstrate that they truly did belong to Paul's following. Notice what he calls them. What does he say? These are what? These are our people. We're all together in this. And they would, in a unique and intimate way, enjoy the fruit of the mission. They would gain by giving. They would grow by cultivating the benefit of others. So it's this idea, is, is, is this what happens? I mean, we, we, should, we grow in our, in our understanding and our capacity and our, our, our uh, 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 willingness to, to sacrifice and to give and to meet these kinds of needs that advance the gospel. And isn't it true that every single time God stretches us in that way that it does come back to us? <laughs> I mean, in other words, we know it's going to generate more fruit on that end, right? I mean, if this guy's involved in that work and he's a faithful man and he's preaching the gospel and all that, that if we invest in that person, that there's going to be fruit that's going to come from that. But the emphasis here is that the fruit's going to be here in, in us, right? We're going to be more fruitful. We're going to taste that fruit by being involved. We're going to gain by, by giving, by sacrificing. So the Great Commission requires more than the evangelist or the church planner or the missionary or the teacher. It requires that every member of the body give themselves to good works. Number six, loving partnership. The advance of the gospel requires loving partnership. Uh, a, a connection, a, 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 or you might say a union or a relationship that is rooted in God's love and grace. Notice the connectivity in verse 15. Right, it, 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 it's a, it's you know we sometimes just glance through these you know we just kind of skip over verse fifteen or verses like it, but these kinds of affectionate greetings are, are sort of the thing that sort of ties us together. It, it's somebody described it as sinews holding the body of Christ together. These kinds of greetings, verse fifteen. All who are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. So. Paul communicates his genuine feelings of friendship and partnership and that of the other team members that were with him at the time. Paul prayed for individuals. He prayed for churches. He cared for individuals. He showed concern for churches. And, and in, those, uh, in those individuals and in those churches knew that the Apostle Paul cared for them and that he prayed for them. How does, the, how does Paul end the letter? He bestows a blessing, another affection, expression of affection. Grace be with you all, in the plural. So to, to all of you. Meaning that Titus would get this letter, Titus would read the letter, but this would be something that Titus would share with the churches. That Titus would take this letter and he would go to those various churches on the island of Crete and he would share these words. 
from Paul. And Paul ends this letter saying, listen to all of you, to all of you who are our, our people, <laughs> who, who, who are in the faith, who, who love us and who love God, grace be with you. And, we, and here we are, folks. Where we, we kind of went all the way back, where are we back to? <laughs> We're back to this issue of grace. The thing that is mentioned in the first and last chapters of every one of Paul's letters. Every one of them. Grace. Grace that comes only from God the Father through Jesus Christ our Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what the church stands in. Uh, this is our message of hope. This is the thing that Paul has just hammered back in chapter 2. The centrality of the grace of God and the gospel of grace. This is our message of hope. This is what motivates us to fight sin. This is what we all need. This is what Paul prayed for. Without grace, we will fail to be disciples who make disciples who in turn make disciples. Without grace, we will tear each other apart. Without grace, we will, in time, even if we're faithful today, without grace, we will forsake sound doctrine. We will depart from those central things. If it's not for God's grace, without grace, we will give up on our God-given Responsibilities. We, we need the grace of God. We need the grace of God to do the very things that Paul encouraged Titus and these believers to do. <clears throat> Are our obligations and our relationships and our personal character important? Yes, they're all important. Paul commends the care of others and uh, uh, others in uh, to those in the church. Uh, he commends the care of those people to those in the church in these very verses, verses twelve and thirteen. He reminds the people of their duties and their responsibilities in verse 14. He reflects on his own relational concerns in verse 15. But what are Paul's final words? Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. All right, well, it's been good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a happy but sad moment. <laughs> After many, many months, we come to the end. Uh, I, it's been a great study. I think it has challenged us, especially in the area of, of our witness, uh, not just individually, because we tend to think of evangelism in a very individualistic sense, but it challenges us in our, our evangelism corporately and, and realizing that there are things that God expects of us as a church. And if the church, if the body of Christ, if we're not faithful in these ways, in here, folks, if this... If, if we're not clinging to sound doctrine and living out sound doctrine and relating to one another in Christ-like ways, we are not going to be effective out there in our individual witnessing. It's just not going to happen. It's got to begin here. So we've really been challenged in that. Uh, we're going to take about four weeks, uh, I mentioned this uh, last time, do a, a few topical things. We're going to talk about the doctrine of the clarity of Scripture. We're going to do, I think, a thing on worship. Uh, a lesson on prayer, just some, some basic things, probably four weeks of that, and then we'll be jumping into our study on Ecclesiastes. So if you want to get a, a, a head start on that, then over, you know, over the next month or so, try to, try to read through Ecclesiastes uh, some and uh, kind of get familiar with that, and we'll be beginning that study soon. Okay, any, any comments before we, before we end here?